Hello and welcome back to Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, with me as always my good buddy Dan. Dan? Oh, did we have a movie this week? Yeah, I am absolutely mentally exhausted by mm-hmm. watching this and the like. This week, we finally see the conclusion to the massive story arc started a year prior in Avengers Infinity War. So we watched the longest movie in the MCU, Avengers Endgame. Get ready for time heists, another epic battle with Thanos, and bittersweet goodbyes to some long-standing MCU characters. Yeah, there is there is a lot to talk about in this movie, not just because it's three hours long. We're going to take a quick dive into the comic book news and Magic reveals her new costume on Artrum's Fall of the House of X, number one cover. I saw this cover this week on Twitter slash X, I guess it's called now, and uh it just floored me. So celebrated cover artist Stanley Artram Lau puts all eyes on magic and her new costume for a variant cover of Fall of the House of X number one. And if you have not seen this, this is absolutely fantastic. It is magic holding her soul sword in this yellow and black costume. And she looks absolutely amazing. So, um, this is this is part of the three series that are going on that are culminating Marvel's Krakoa age of the X-Men that started back when Jonathan Hickman revitalized the franchise in 2019. So there is I I don't know what's going on with X-Men or uh, the Krakoa age or anything like that. All I know is really cool art when I see it, and that's what got me this. And I just wanted to mention it and put a link in the show notes so if you have not seen this. Dan, yep. what do you think of uh, of, of Stanley Lau's uh, art? Because he is amazing. Vitrum's always been really good. He definitely has a kind of a, a way with female characters. That's most of his covers and most of the stuff he does. So... It's it's really cool. Magic, of course, spelled with a, spelled with a K, has been around yes. for decades. She was uh, one of the new mutants. She's Colossus's little sister, and she's had quite a, a traumatic and interesting history over the years. But always has very interesting costumes and changes pretty regularly. So very cool. Yes. So. Definitely check that out if you have not gotten a chance. As far as what's new on Marvel Unlimited, oh goodness, it is a big week on Marvel Unlimited. There are 28 books being released this week on Marvel Unlimited. There's two number ones, a What If Dark Spider-Gwen number one and the X-Men Hellfire Gala number one. And, uh, you know, yeah. since we're talking since we're talking about the Avengers, Jed McKay's The Avengers number three is being released this week. And it says the first tribulation event strikes the Earth. The Avengers fly into action as the Ashen Combined, a collection of the multiverse's greatest monsters, dis- descends 
from the impossible city to follow their respective appetites. City slayers all pursuing the assassination of metropolitan areas for sport. I saw the city slayers on the, on the cover. I saw Jed McKay. I saw the Avengers. I was just like, I want to, I want to at least uh, mention that one specifically because that looked pretty cool. All right. Yeah. That's, Sounds like many things are going to be destroyed during that one. So it's kind of like the first Avengers movie, just in multiple cities, probably. So, yes, construction companies are going to make good money in the MC or the regular Marvel universe after this. Yes, there's also a bunch of Star Wars books that are coming out this week as well. That's included in those 28. So if you're looking for some Star Wars books, there's definitely something there for you as well. Dan, recommendation for this week? Yeah, so I love books about comics. And recently I picked up Marvel Comics in the 1970s, The World Inside Your Head by Elliot Borenstein. And uh, this is a very esoteric, very academic look at the writing of a number of the young folks who came into Marvel in the 70s kind of as... Stan Lee was giving up a lot of his writing duties and the like, and they expanded into different things. So we're looking at Steve Englehart, Steve Gerber, Doug Mensch, Don McGregor. These are names you've seen before, because McGregor, of course, on Black Panther, Doug Mensch, our Moon Knight stuff, Steve Gerber is Howard the Duck, and then Englehart's been all over the place. He did a bunch of Avengers stuff, he did a bunch of stuff on Captain America. Uh, This is so good. It is very... Very academic, but it's written in a way that's still entertaining and accessible. And I especially love the fact that he's got little jokes and things all over in his footnotes, many of which are the geekiest sorts of humor you would ever imagine. So if you're into that sort of stuff, Marvel Comics in the 70s by Elliot Bernstein, really good stuff. All right, we'll have a link so you can see that in the show notes as well. All right, Dan, I think we've... Uh, exhausted all the time we can spare not mm-hmm. talking about the uh, Avengers Endgame. So this is your spoiler warning. We are going to be talking in great detail about Avengers Endgame from 2019. Obviously, there's so much from a pop culture reference standpoint, you probably know all about it. But if you haven't seen it recently and don't want anything in particular spoiled, now's a good time to pause or stop the recording Go check it out. Spend about three hours of your time watching the film and then come back and join us as we talk about Avengers Endgame. All right, your film facts for Avengers Endgame. The tagline for the film, Avenge the Fallen. The movie was released April 26th, 2019. That was literally one year later. April 27th, 2018 is when the uh, when Affinity War came out. This movie has a runtime of 181 minutes. It is the longest MCU movie of of them all. Box office. Yeah. Box office take is massive worldwide. This film made just under two point eight billion with a B million dollars it is uh absolutely crazy 
you remember Infinity War a year prior made just over two billion dollars. So this made almost seven hundred and fifty million dollars more than the first film. Domestically, the film took in $858 million. That's up from $678 million for Infinity War a year prior. Avengers Endgame is the first film to reach over a billion dollars during its opening weekend in theaters. Think about that. That is absolutely crazy. The budget for this, remember, is kind of a combined effort between Infinity War and Endgame. Somewhere between 325 and probably closer to $400 million. This film has a rating of 8.4 out of 10, just like Infinity War. The movie stars Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Jeremy Renner, Don Cheadle, Paul Rudd, Karen Gillan, Zoe Saldana, Brie Larson, Tess Thompson, and of course Josh Brolin. The movie is directed I thought by there Anthony. were other people in it. Was that was there that was, uh, there may have been one or two others as well. There was a lot more than <laughs> that, just like this one. I I lend I gave the stars the ones that had the most screen time. And so these are the ones that got the most screen time as far like though Josh people. Brolin. Yeah. yeah, Josh Brolin actually got a lot less in this film than he did the first film. Movies directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, who also did the first film, as well as Winter Soldier and Civil War. Screenplay, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely also wrote the first film as well. So those are your film facts for Avengers Endgame. All right. The only thing more like difficult than me doing the film facts around this is talking a recap of this film, because there is... This is this is not your standard MCU movie. There is not for a long time. There is not a lot of like action that goes on. There's a lot of just character development in this film. I was really surprised about that. And I was surprised I think that even when there is action in a lot of cases it's just somebody just gets hit in the head and falls down. Or yeah. somebody just gets their head chopped off and there's not even a fight. You know, there's right. there's not the the big action set pieces as much until you get to the end. It yes. is ridiculously character driven yes. when it comes down to it. And story driven. So yeah, we're gonna give it a try. I'm gonna break this up. So we'll talk about a little of it and then stop. Because three hours is a lot of time to recap. So yeah. let's go ahead and just take a look at the beginning. Um, sure. Endgame starts out immediately by breaking your heart as we get a view of the snap itself and we're on Clint Barton's farm and we see the snap take away his family while he's standing around and he's out there with them and then they all just disappear. Then takes us into deep space where Tony Stark and Nebula are near death in the Milano. Uh, Tony is recording messages to uh, Pepper that he expects probably will never make it to her. Ends up, though, being saved by Captain Marvel, who returns them and the ship to Earth. Stark and Tony Rod um, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers then end up rehashing their anger over Civil War, which still has not been resolved. And then the group takes off to find Thanos, with intentions to re reverse the snap. They're able to find him through Nebula, and when they do get to him, 
the gauntlet is in fact empty because he has just recently used the stones to destroy the stones, essentially badly damaging himself, nearly killing himself, but cementing the destruction that he put in place through the snap and making it so that no one can essentially undo his work. Thor then just beheads him because he's angry and he doesn't want to listen to him anymore. And this part of the story closes and we move five years ahead. So there's our setup. There's our story. So what did you think? It's heartbreaking that, that Clint Barton beginning is heartbreaking. And in fact, it was actually supposed, it was filmed with the idea that it was going to be an infinity war, but because Jeremy Renner and Clint Barton weren't in infinity war, they ultimately decided that it didn't make sense being in there. Just having just all of a sudden this one scene where 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 Clint Barton and his family are there at post snap. So I love the f- <laughs> love being a strong word here, I guess. I, I it's so impactful seeing that. And then see, seeing seeing his just distraughtness, us knowing what's going on, him not knowing what's going on. And then we go, we see Tony Stark in space. They've yep. basically after the snaps taken refuge on the ship and are now stranded. I didn't get how he got there, but apparently that, you know, they just jumped on the ship after, after the snap on Titan and, yep. uh, and, and then they're just sort of left there. But it's, it's weird because basically all of that happens before you even see the title card to the movie. And this is like you're 15 minutes into the movie, almost 20 minutes into the movie. And then all this happens and it's like, where are they going to go from here? And then you see a, 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 you know, a thing that says five years later and you're just like, oh, goodness. Yeah, I like the fact I think you had to have. If it hadn't been Barton's family, it would have had to have been something else that had let off reminding you of the tragedy of the snap. Essentially yes. giving you at the very beginning an idea of what it was that they were going to be fighting for again. Because we've had a year now to, that we haven't really experienced this. And most of what we saw was the heroes going away. And realizing through this the pain and the trouble that families all over America and all over the universe are feeling. Yeah. <laughs> from what from what just happened, right? So it, right. it really starts you out with this very somber very impactful beginning. And then we get into the fact that we're not going to be able to fix this. So there's also a point when the whole five years later thing, you know, we've had Captain Marvel come back. We found Thanos and we find out that there is nothing that we can do. And suddenly when it goes black and you see five years later, it's like, oh man, well, what's going on here? And then they have to start now rebuilding up the story. So this yeah. is kind of our our darkest before the dawn moment, right? Where we've had yeah. five years where, where civilization is trying to rebuild itself. People are trying to move on with their lives, etc. So after that title card, after we get our intro and everything else, we see Scott Lang actually popping out from the quantum realm as a... Uh, just sort of a random event happens in the van he's in, right? That that finally does what uh, Janet and the rest of them yeah. were supposed to do five years earlier. So he comes back, 
and tells everybody that his five years in the quantum realm actually felt like just five hours to him. And because of this, he starts to posit the idea of essentially quantum-based time travel and the idea they might be able to do a time heist that would allow the Avengers to go back into the past, find the stones before they're destroyed, because that's the reason why they can't solve anything is the stones are destroyed. Well, they aren't destroyed in the past, so let's go back there and get them, and then we can undo Thanos' snap. Sounds like an idea that they want to at least consider, at least Cap does. So he goes to Tony Stark and says, okay, here's what we know. Can we do this, right? Stark no, actually talks to him. Yep, and he refuses. He says, first off, it's dangerous. It's probably not going to work. And also, we could make it worse, right? Mm -hmm. Right now, yeah, this is terrible. But I got my second chance. You know, he's he's got Pepper. He's got a daughter. He now has more to lose than he's had to lose at any point before in the MCU, right? Yeah. And so because of that, he doesn't want to lose his wife and his daughter to a time change. At that point, Steve, Natasha, and Scott then go to Bruce Banner for help, get mixed results, including, you know, Ant-Man being turned into a baby and things like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But Tony can't help but be thinking about options. And actually, while they're going around trying to do their thing, he ends up solving the whole time travel problem sort of in between doing some dishes and putting his daughter to bed, right? He just yep. kind of goes and boom, hey, look at this. We can make it work. To be that so smart. <laughs> one, yep. So at that point, he goes back and sort of makes up with Steve. He agrees to help, says, but... We've got to do this the right way. We can't try and undo the snap, right? We can't go back in time and change it so it never happens. What happens has happened. All we can do now is try to bring back those people who were snapped. And so that's what we do. Essentially, everybody gets to keep what they have now. We try to bring back what was taken away. And as he notes, hopefully not dry trying. Which... It's so sad now, of course. Everything, in, yeah. there's so many things in this movie that, that are super tragic having watched the movie. That weren't foreshadowing the, yep. Yeah, foreshadowing elements, yep. Now, to be quite frank, I will admit that I fully expected one of the big characters, and probably Tony Stark, to die during this. Because it sort of ended up being that the the Avengers saga, the MCU really, up to that point, was Tony Stark's story. You know, so the idea that it would begin sort of with Iron Man, we're going to ignore the Hulk, you know, completely begins with Iron Man pretty much, a couple movies from him, and now it's going to end with Iron Man, right? That's the yep. arc of the Marvel Universe in cinema. And so I think even when I watched the movie the first time, when he said that, it was kind of like, oh no, that's... That's bad. Foreshadowing is, is not what I want to see on one of my favorite characters. But no. I think this is a this is cool because it does then start talking about how time travel is going to work in their world yeah. and how this time heist gets done. And that essentially it's not the way that any of the time travel movies you grew up on as a kid does it, right? Yeah. <laughs> that essentially... All of the screenwriters before got it wrong, and you can't just do a, you know, back to the future or that sort of thing. 
the that that whole meta discussion about how time travel works and they're referencing he actually says are all your ideas based on back to the future and then they're like listing hot tub time machine and stuff it just like it it did sort of lighten the mood and kind of like really set this back into kind of feeling like a, a an mcu film because i mean all the way up to this point it's been you know bad news bears basically it's been like really tough one punch after another and and you know you finally see some some light at the tunnel there's a there's hope you you have natasha meeting up with clint barton and he's off assassinating you know cartels and things like this and i remember his line don't don't give me hope because he's like we you know we've got we're putting a team together we've got an idea and it's like yeah, this actually there there is something here. Yeah, I think that what's interesting is that five year gap functions in a story manner as a way of sort of giving you the ability to not be angry at the characters for the fact that they're starting to be a little bit more normal. That they've gotten to the point where they can't yeah. just be depressed every day, right? It's been right. half a decade that they've been dealing with this and they're still obviously having problems with it. There's still trauma on a day-to-day basis for people all over, but you're starting to see a little bit of humor comes through once in a while and the like, and I think that that makes kind of lets the story breathe and the characters start to actually become themselves more. And you want that because we don't want three hours of everybody sitting around being depressed would really, really suck. Right. Yeah. So, at this point, though, yeah, they've they've figured out that what they can do is they can go back into the past. They can steal the stones or negotiate for the stones or whatever from these different previous places in the timeline, bring them back, use them, and then they've got to scurry back and replace them at the exact same spot so that they don't wreck the timelines they're taking them out of. Right. But in doing so, they're not changing their past. They are simply changing what the future is going to be. So they've they've maintained that original timeline. So heaven heaven help us how how Loki would interact with this entire thing or or what Loki does to this when he escapes. We'll see that in a minute here. So Things then, like we say, lighten up a bit. The Guardians return, the Hulk's wandering around handing out tacos, uh, Thor's recruited Black into the team, looks a little bit the worse for wear. Uh, to complete the original team, Natasha actually heads to Japan and confronts Clint Barton, who's become a violent vigilante. He does this actually in the comics as well. So Ronan is a character in a costume from the comics for, for Barton. Uh, Barton actually then comes back, and completes the first test run to the past where he actually can hear his family is pulled back just as he would see uh, some of his family members. And at this point, they've proven it'll work and the time heist planning session gets underway. Eventually, the team identifies places in the past where Infinity Stones can be found. And at the one hour and seven minute mark of this three hour film, they actually head into the past and start enacting their plan. So one third of the way through, we leave kind of the current environment and they head into the past to do what they need. So the right. teams actually head off. Oh, oh. I was going to say they're in 2023. 
and then yep. they go into the past because it's five years after the snap and the snap was in basically 2018 when 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 Thanos got all the stones and snapped, which I thought was actually crazy because it's 2023 as we're rewatching this. And it's like, well, this go. could be happening now. That's cool. All right. So, yeah, so they head into the past and the places they're heading are to New York in 2012, which is a great spot for them because theoretically there are three of the stones in New York at the same time and they need to get all six of them bring them back, and then be able to complete the snap. So teams go different places. One goes to New York. That's a lot of the Avengers. Uh, one goes to Asgard. One goes to Morag. And then another goes to Vormir. And they're going New York in 2012, Asgard 2013, Morag and Vormir in 2014, meaning they're going to those in the years where the movies were released that these yep. events and things happened in, right? So... Yep. I think talking about each of these sort of in order in terms of what they do would be the way to do it. They do actually intersperse them a little bit, but let's just go through and talk about each of them. So New York, uh, Bruce heads back in the part of this team. He ends up talking to the Ancient One and eventually convinces her to give him the Time Stone, essentially by convincing her that Doctor Strange, Stephen Strange, had given the Time Stone to Thanos. And the Ancient One's like, hmm. He had to have a reason, because he's one of the best of us. So here, have my time stone, too. This is just what must have to happen, or whatever. At that point, Tony, Steve, and um, Scott Lang are reliving the end of the Avengers movie, uh, kind of at the tower, and are getting the Mind Stone. Unfortunately, the Hulk uh, gets angry in the staircase and messes up the acquisition of the Tesseract or Space Stone, uh, allowing Loki to actually grab it and take off into his own television series. Uh, yep. While Steve and Tony then decide that, well, we still need to get this. There is a MacGuffin in this where they only had enough PIM particles, which is what's powering these time suits, for one jump back and one jump forward. So there couldn't be any mistakes. Well, now they've had a mistake. What these guys decide to do is, instead of jumping back forward while not completing it, they're going to jump farther backward to Camp Lehigh, which is where they believe they can get both some more PIM particles and the Tesseract, which was stored back there then. Yes. And when they do this, they end up seeing some old friends, some family, and they get both the Tesseract and the particles they need to be able to continue back to the future. So, what did you think of this New York slash New Jersey part of the, uh, of the scam, of the heist? I mean... It was there. There was a lot of moments in there that I think are really memorable for this film. Uh, you oh, know, yeah. Steve Rogers fighting Steve Rogers, Steve Rogers saying "Hail Hydra" to them when they're in the elevator because he realizes they're all Hydra agents. All all nope. of those things. I I I really really thought this part was well done. You see moments from the avengers movie the first avengers movie and and like it was it was weird because it's like you've got this thing back to the future it felt like back to the future because you have the moments where you're seeing the thing that happened before and i'm not talking about the first back to the future movie i'm talking like the second back Literally. to the future movie oh. where you're seeing what happened in the first back to the future movie happen again but like different things are happening and you're seeing different angles and 
you know, suddenly Scott Lang is giving uh, giving Tony Stark a cardiac event and stuff so that yep. they could potentially get the get the Tesseract. And so it was it was something to watch. It, it would there was it was like built in nostalgia that I didn't even necessarily know I needed that just ended up playing up really, really well. It was massive fan service and the like, yes. and playing on the fact that you knew these things and enjoyed them, you know. But even like the fact that you've got sort of smart Hulk now going back in time and watching previous Hulk just randomly angry smash everything, and he's just embarrassed. Yes. I really yeah. was I that guy, you know? Yes. And then you get stuff like. Uh, Tony Stark getting to have that conversation with his dad and the closure uh-huh. there. That you know, got you me. Get, yep, you get the fact that you know Steve Rogers sees the office of Peggy and Peggy uh, Carter, and that's going to obviously sort of remind him of the life he's lost, and it foreshadows a lot of the stuff we're going to see later. So right. they worked so many things into this. You know, I love, yeah. I love the fact that it gave them kind of that chance as older characters to comment on their, on their younger selves as well, because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the weird thing is these characters really did grow over the last decade. They are yes. not the same people that they were during the Avengers movie or during their first films. And so it, I, I really enjoyed the New York one because it gave us a chance really to kind of look at that and see how some of that went. So anyways, though, they end up, one way or another, getting all three of the things they need. They're able to uh, to get them and then head back. Uh, in the second adventure, we actually have them taking off to Asgard. We've got Thor and Rocket. How Rocket ended up being the guy that was chosen to send a raccoon to Asgard, we think he would stand out. But they go back to get the reality stone from Jane Foster, because that's the point where she's got it sort of injected into her. And so he's got an extractor, and Rocket goes and extracts it, while Thor essentially is kind of moping around and hiding, and he's phoned by his mother, who immediately is like, looks like you're from the future. I know these things because I was raised yeah. by witches. Yes. I, and I'm not... I love that. He's not freaked out by it. He's like, no. all right, this is what's going on. You don't look good. Have a salad or something like that. But... He gives him some really good advice and kind of starts him on his way to getting over himself. And so I think that was important for him getting to see his mom. Um, and it gave us a chance to to be able to, you know, revisit some of these characters as well. Uh, very small parts, obviously, uh, for the folks there, but nonetheless, good to see them. Yeah. So that one, I think, was was more of a, it was it was played a little bit initially for comedy as almost everything with Thor was, but then it turned more serious near the end. And it kind of, yeah. this was the point where Thor went from mopey, big Lebowski guy to dude who's going to try and, and, and Thanos again. Right. So I, I like he, that. He, he actually call, uh, he actually got called big Le- Lebowski from Tony yeah. Stark as they were getting ready to go onto the, onto the, the quantum pad and yeah, and the, and he gets Mjolnir back as well. Yes. So he calls for, gets it. He's like, I'm still worthy. So after the pep talk from mom, he gets Mjolnir and he's ready to go because Rocket did the thing they actually meant 
went to go there to do, which is get the reality stone. Which also doesn't end up causing trouble because at the end they take it and Cap brings it back and puts it in its place as well. So all this stuff they've taken from across time and space, they just go and put it all back before they're done and, and call right. it good. Um, Morag, Nebula, and Rhodey actually are there. That's where Quill had originally gotten the Power Stone at the beginning of the first Guardians movie. Um, unfortunately, Nebula ends up being stranded because it turns out that her memories or memory banks end up being sort of intertwined with the Nebula of this time. And that allows Thanos to sort of find some things out and also to capture her. What did you think of the Morag stuff? It was probably the most, like, or it definitely is comedic there. They, like, he, Rhodey calls Quill an idiot. And, and yes. yeah, he very much feels that way. And they're watching him. And, and you're, like, seeing him sing along to the song he's listening to in his headphones. But you obviously can't hear it because, you know, yes. he's on headphones. And so that was, that was interesting. I, I think the thing that really impressed me is, like, you couldn't go this whole movie without having Thanos there, but you couldn't have Thanos there too much because they killed him off, ten, you know, 15 minutes into the film. But there needed to be some sort of bad guy to prevent them from doing the time heist or, or there'd be some sort of consequence for the time heist. And so I really thought the way they they had like the memory banks from Nebula in 2014 kind of intermixed with the current Nebula from 2023. And he was able to see what they were doing and that they were gathering the stones and, and, and that, that the, the 2014 Nebula would then they captured and, and had her replace the current Nebula yep. to kind of act as the uh, way in so that Thanos could get the stones sooner. And, uh, or at least, sooner than he would have had the uh you know future played out uh, and i i i just i thought it was well done and a great way to bring thanos back into the story yeah and of course you know with the with the whole death of gamora and the like that allowed them to bring back gamora they wanted to yes and see if they could do that. Also, Nebula is awful in this one. Original Nebula is is literally irredeemable, which is why she ends up just getting shot. So there you go. But it's interesting to see some of those characters, uh, you know, continued to take the, uh, the villain turns. Last one is Vormir. Last and, and by far the saddest. Uh, this is where the Red Skull is located. He makes the same horrific offer as before, this time to Natasha and Clint, who are the two that go there to retrieve uh, the stone. Both of them end up offering up their lives to save the other one and to get the stone. And they go over the cliff together. Natasha ends up sort of shooting a, a line back up and then attaching it onto Clint. So there's no way he can save her. And then eventually... Um, she just sort of lets go and everyone in the theater starts sobbing and it's ridiculously, ridiculously sad, but sacrifice is accomplished. Clinton ends up heading home with the soul stone. So what was your experience vacationing on Vormir, Dwayne? 
Why did it have to be Clint and Natasha? Why did it have to be those two? Couldn't it have been somebody else, for the love of gosh? I just, it is, it, I, I will tell you that initially it bothered me, this, seeing this struggle, them fighting over who was going to sacrifice themselves so that they could get the stone. And I didn't have as much attachment I think to Natasha the first time I watched this, it's like, I felt bad, but I didn't feel as bad as I felt this time. There's just something about rewatching these films and seeing, you know, some of the comic books with Natasha in it as well. I just felt a lot stronger connection to Natasha than I did the first time. And just the way Jeremy Renner, and Scarlett Johansson played out that scene. They were kind of joking with each other and all this sort of thing. And 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 then they start basically fighting each other. And it's just like, this is no, this no, this can't no, this can't be happening. And then it happens, and you're just like, oh my god, this is another just giant just sucker punch to the stomach. Yeah, it's it's painful. You know, this is now one of one of the original Avengers. So the yeah. the sacrifice was not an in, an inconsequential one at all. And I think you kind of knew that this was going to be something that didn't get fixed because there has to be a sacrifice to bring back half the universe. Something important has to pay the price. Yeah. Um, and I think at this point, this was where I started to think maybe Iron Man wouldn't die. So I'm like, well, they can't kill off all the Avengers. You know, if they've killed off Black Widow, that's a substantial sort of loss for the MCU. But um, that was really that was really sad and and very sobering. So at that point, though, we then get everyone sort of returning. And they all, no matter how long it took to do what they need, they all return to the same fixed point a few seconds later from when they took off. They return in a big circle. Everyone comes back except Natasha. They immediately find out what happens to her. They mourn her. And while they're mourning, they're also building this Iron Man colored gauntlet to hold the stones to let them process the power and and have their own snap. So this is also one of those weird things where originally you had to have like the dwarves that made, you know, Mjolnir somehow create this thing. And it was so impossible to craft something that would get the six stones that he like killed all the dwarves and then maimed the guy who did it so that there would never be another thing that could do this. And Uh then the Avengers whip one up in an afternoon that's going to do the job just fine. So Tony and Bruce was, are just that that good. They yeah. could just do that on their own. That was a little weird. But in any case, they get that done. They get that gauntlet ready. It holds the stones. Thor's like, hey, give this to me. And he's basically drunk and and traumatized. So Tony's like, no, you are not the person for, you know, galactic power. Essentially, Bruce says, look, I almost feel like this is something that I'm destined to do. I'm one of the only ones who can actually, you know, potentially 
hold this power. Most of the radiation from it is gamma radiation. I just got to be the one to do it. So he takes it. He puts it on his hand. He gets ready to snap everybody back. He does the snap. And just as they are winning, we find out that the nebula that came back with them, well, actually, we knew already, but they find out pretty quickly that the nebula that came back with them was actually the fake nebula. She then uses the time platform to bring Thanos from the past into the future, and he immediately basically levels the entire Avengers complex. Yeah, brings back the entire spaceship that Thanos is in. So, like, he's got all his forces, he's got his big, like, floating squid thing, things, whatever those were from the event from From the the first avengers film and and everything so yeah it was it was amazing how we went from a snap and a phone call from clint's wife to just complete and utter devastation of the avengers compound they're deep underground they're you know people are potentially going to get like drowned in water that's flooding and there's rubble and people are digging each other out it's it's happiness for a moment, and then it's taken immediately away from us. Yeah. But the fact is, half the universe has now been returned. Theoretically, they've, they've succeeded in their mission. Uh, the problem is that now Thanos is literally just hanging around, sitting kind of outside on a rock, waiting for them. And when they get there, he's like, you know, thanks for helping me realize that I made a mistake the first time. Because by simply removing half of the population, you leave so many people who still have that lost process that it messes up the plan. So he's like, what I'm going to do now is simply delete the entire universe and then just bring back a new grateful universe that does not remember loss instead. Meaning, essentially, it's going to be exactly what Tony feared, which is that if Thanos can get the gauntlet that they've just made, he'll actually make it worse than before, where he literally destroys everybody and just instead of just half of everybody. Yep. So, the rest of the team then starts playing keep away with the gauntlet, trying to prevent Nebula from returning it to her father. Good Nebula actually sort of stops her right as she's about to kill um, Hawkeye, and ends up killing Bad Nebula while she's while she's trying to uh, kill Gamora as well. Cap then shows himself to be worthy of Thor's hammer in a brutal throwdown with Thanos. Probably one of the most just beautiful moments of superhero cinema ever. I mean, that yes. literally there were cheers and almost people standing up and jumping, I think, in the theater uh, during that scene when they first saw it back in the day. We were uh, it, all it was just so we were, much fun. We were all Thor when we said, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Yep. So that was that was a lot of fun. But Thanos actually does eventually kind of put him down and defeat him, and then he starts gloating. Uh you first you first he's like, you know, in all the times I've worked with things and all the planets I've defeated, and you think he's going to give this little thing to Cap where it's like, you've been the most honorable foe I've ever faced, or whatever. And so he's like, I'm really going to enjoy destroying uh-huh. his shit whole planet. 
You know, yeah. you've irritated me. He doesn't give him any yeah. any sort of honorifics or whatever. He's just like, you you really have been enough trouble that I'm going to enjoy destroying this. So, Normally it's just business, but this time you know, you've made it personal. Yep, and and so he just proves himself to be even worth. He's he's no no good in victory either. Uh, just bad a bad winner. So he says he's going to very very much enjoy destroying Earth. And then Cap actually manages to get back up. And even though he's completely outnumbered, Thanos has got all these ships coming at him and he's standing there. Cap just picks himself up and he starts walking toward him like one guy is going to face off against an army. Just as he's about to obviously be destroyed, though, you hear Sam Wilson kind of out of nowhere saying, on your left, and then portals start appearing all around behind him. And... First off, we see T'Challa and his crew. Then you see Doctor Strange come in. We see Spidey and all of these other lost heroes and some of the forces of the various societies and and teams uh, sort of popping through portals until you have quite literally the entire assembled Marvel Cinematic Universe on one side of the screen and this massive force of, of Thanos on the other, at which point... Cap just raises up the hammer, shouts Avengers Assemble, and all hell breaks loose on the screen. Yes. So, what do you think, This sir? is, th this rivals, like, Lord of the Rings, Braveheart, all those giant bat movie battles that you've ever seen that have just an amazing sort of just unbelievably huge scale and scope of a battle this is that and then some it is unbelievable the 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 on your left i don't i you uh, cheers cheers literal cheers there are there are nope. videos on social media of cheering that starts and you start crying and you're just like this is this is how you stick the landing. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Mary Lou, that's why they called this Mary Lou. They needed to stick the landing. This is how you stick the landing. You create this ridiculously epic battle with everybody that you've ever seen in an MCU film on one side and all the forces of the universe under, under the biggest bad ever created in the Marvel Universe on the other side. And then you just wait for them to just kind of clobber each other. It was unbelievable how just picture perfect it was. I, I, I cannot stress enough that this is what you would expect, but also entirely unexpected how well it worked. It just worked. And a crazy thing, I mean... Looking at it from a, a movie-making perspective, it almost shouldn't work. You can't have this many characters. No. The only way it works is that each of those characters has had their own moments in all of these films, and, and Endgame just sort of dredges along this history behind, and it depends on it. You know, when you get the on-your-left moment, that takes you back to the previous films. It's never yeah. explained and it doesn't have to no. be. Most of these characters are never introduced and they don't need to be. All of the things that are done are just like, we do not have time to slow down and explain 
who these characters are or why they matter or why you care, if you haven't been with us, you're just going to have to take our word that this is important. Because you've got the music swelling and you've got the characters appearing and then everybody heads in. And, you know, you got Ant-Man trying to get back to his old van, which is their current backup time machine. Uh, everyone takes turns sort of starring against Thanos or trying to keep the gauntlet safe. So, like, you know, Hawkeye passes it to Spider-Man who gives it to Black uh, Panther or maybe backwards from that. In any case, it gets thrown around kind of like a football. Eventually... Captain Marvel reappears. Uh, she absolutely wrecks Thanos' fleet and yet again proves that the movies would be v not particularly interesting if she was around for most of yeah. them because yeah. she's a, a house unto herself. The lady heroes get the spotlight for a couple of minutes or they make a run for the van. Uh, unfortunately, the, the gauntlet eventually ends up getting loose and Thanos ends up getting it and uses the power stone. He sort of plucks out the power stone, puts it in his fist, punches Captain Marvel, and that is enough to actually sort of lay her low for the rest of the battle. So now we're back to the Avengers, which nobody probably would have expected anything else than we're back to the Avengers needing to finish this. So he tries to snap at that point, but finds out that Iron Man has actually stolen the stones from him. And his snap actually is the thing that dusts Thanos and his forces. So he steals the stones, puts them in his own backup Infinity Gauntlet that he had within his armor. Because, you know, yes. you, gotta have, you gotta have a backup gauntlet. And then he yep. manages to dust all of the, the bad guys. Victory ends up being kind of bittersweet, though. Because as a non-superhuman, Tony ends up being mortally wounded by using the stones the way he did. Peter and Pepper end up being there with him at the end almost like that adopted son and then his wife. Uh, and she tells him as he's passing away, we're going to be okay. You can rest now. Entire theater is a complete sobbing mess at this point, from what I remember. Yeah. And the scene just fades out to black at that point. So, what was your mental state at this, at this juncture? Uh, I was bawling. I was I was bawling the first time because Iron Man, Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. was the one that brought me into comic book movies, really. Like, I had been a fan of Batman before, but Iron Man really brought me in to modern day, really interesting, cool movies about comic book characters and i did not want to see him die and it just mm -hmm. it hit me like a ton of bricks then and it hit me just as much if not more and i knew it was coming the whole movie and i just couldn't help myself it's just heartbreaking yeah but it was well earned as well like it this was. is a this is a character life and death that has sort of started out, he started out seemingly unredeemable. And then over the course of many movies, he starts developing attachments to various other people. He starts resolving a lot of the things that had been difficult for him through his life or that had sort of inspired some of his bad behaviors. Eventually, he gets the family, he gets the resolution with his father, and then he 
dies saving the universe. So as a character no. arc, I you mean, can't ask fantastic. for anything more. It is fantastic. You know? He he went from a narcissistic prick to somebody that you are just devastated by the loss of. And the idea that we're not going to see him again, presumably. It, it, it just, oh. yeah, it was... I'm not saying it wasn't good, the whole thing, and looking at it from the, like, taking a step back, but in that moment and seeing oh, yeah. that happen, it just it just killed me. It just punched to the gut. Pretty much everybody. And, and that's a credit to the actors and the directors and, and everybody that they were able to take something that, yeah, I think a lot of people figured, don't, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is getting a little older. He's been doing this forever. The characters had an arc. It's probably time to move on. So no one's... I think a lot of people knew going in there was a good chance this would happen. But it still just hits you like a ton of bricks when it happened. So at that point, we fade out of black. Uh, we see the fruits of Tony's sacrifice immediately, which I think is important. As we see Hawkeye's family... We see Spider-Man's friends returning. We see others returning back into the world. Um, and then in his final video, we get Tony telling us sort of that that part of the journey is the end, right? His funeral then also has characters from all across a decade of films. So you have all of these people who had like medium parts in some of his movies. You had the kid from the Iron Man movie. You had... Um, you know, like some of those shield agents. That's who that was. I was like, who's that yeah. teenager? And it's the yeah. kid from it's the, the kid that helped him with his armor from like that's right Tennessee or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yes. But yeah, so they brought all these characters back who many of them were larger or smaller or whatever, but they they bring them in for this funeral. And then even as they're doing that, they also then, you know. They're, they're at his lake house, and we get at this vision, or this, uh, at some point they kind of bring in, and we get a chance to mourn Vision and Natasha as well, because the Scarlet Witch and Hawkeye are sitting there talking about who they've lost as well. So yeah. they also don't forget those characters, one of whom, of course, died in the previous movie. Once we get done with the funeral, they don't want to leave us on that note. So then they start lightening things up a little bit again, and I guess setting the scene for Phase 4 a little bit. When we see Thor leaving off with the Guardians, we see Cap heading back in time to return the stones, and then there's a little bit of a problem because Cap doesn't return when he's supposed to. Everyone's kind of wondering what's going on, but they look over see this old guy sitting on a bench, realize that in actual fact that is Steve Rogers the better part of 50 some years later he took that return trip as a chance to return everything to where it needed to be and then to give himself a second chance at the life that he'd lost in the ice so he returns as that old man he passes the shield on to Sam Wilson and tells him it's his now and then the movie actually closes with him sort of finally getting that dance with Peggy that he's been promise since in since the first Avenger. or whatever yeah yeah so beautiful what a movie 
Holy mackerel. That was that was a great recap. It was there was a lot to get through. We don't have a ton of time to go through some of the discussion things, but there are a few notes about the time heist in particular, I think, that are actually kind of interesting. So first of all, the idea of the time heist is what they considered to be the stupidest idea to kind of paint themselves out of the corner of Thanos has just blown up half the half the universe and we need to figure out a way to get it back. But looking at the Ant-Man films actually argued otherwise and offered up the seeds to the time machine that they ultimately ended up using the, the quantum realm and, and all that sort of stuff. So I thought it was really interesting that they kind of went from this is the most unrealistic thing way we could get out of this to this is the way we're going to do it. And they actually found that there is a really excellent additional thing that they could get out of this, which was the Russos were thrilled with this idea because it offered opportunities to talk and comment on the previous movies because some of the things and they specifically called out the dark world, the, 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 the Thor, the second Thor movie as being kind of confusing. And so they could go back and they could comment on that without, and maybe clarify some things all, all while giving us, you know, entertainment and progressing the story in the, in this one as well. Well, I think that that's the interesting thing is that it was, it was kind of almost like you get those those flashback scenes to you know the way sitcoms used to do it or like like one yeah. of the mash very special episodes or something like this back in the day where you'd see kind of all these things from from previous we got not scenes from previous movies but sort of re-scenes from yeah. all of these different movies where they went back and we kind of saw them fresh from a different angle and yeah, it was it was amazing that that you're able to do that, and they kind of made fun of a few things, but they also then gave them the ability to like it. Like I said earlier, show how different these characters are now when they react to those scenes differently, or people react to them differently. Yeah, definitely. So there was a post on Instagram at the time. Marvel revealed that all the Infinity Stones were destroyed when they like. When Thanos did the thing, he destroyed the stones in the yep. primary universe, in the in the six one six universe, and but that they noted that there are stones in other MCU timelines and different multiverse timelines, and so you know that's how they were able to do the events of Endgame, and so you know those are strings that they could potentially pull again if they decided they wanted to do that, but. Um, that it'll be interesting to see. I, I hope they don't because I feel like this is perfect kind of just the way it is. Oh, yeah, I would agree. In fact, I, I mean, looking at this, there are so many elements of this that just are perfect wrap-ups. Yeah. You, know, you talk about a, a lot of the conversational things like Natasha and Steve at the beginning talking about the Avengers becoming their family. Tony playing with his daughter, uh, you know, Pepper talking to Tony as sort of that conscience 
that sends him forward. Like, you know, if you can do this, do you have to do this? Right. Uh, and then we get, we get a lot of the things like Thor and his mom. We see Tony and his dad. We see Steve and Peggy Carter, uh, Tony and Peter. There are so many just character moments that resolve longstanding, not so much plot points as emotional points. Yeah. And there is a, there is a, an, an element of the way they did this, where when I got done, one of the things I, I thought that I wrote down is how do you follow this movie? Right. Yeah. That it was not just M game for this particular storyline. I think there's a, there's an element to where this could have slash should have just been Endgame for the Marvel Universe for a while. If they were going to take a break and pack it in, this would have been the time to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's brilliant, and it doesn't need anything else. You know? Yeah. One last thing. With Steve Rogers going back in time to put this, or put kind of the stones back and stuff, and then basically being with Peggy. We -hmm. had two Captain Americas and didn't even know we had two Captain Americas. And, and uh, according to the, the writers, um, you know, Christopher Marcus and, and Stephen McFeely, they, they basically confirmed it uh, in, in an interview saying, you know, here's how we reconcile it. We think there have always been two caps from 1945 to say, now we just didn't know it. That's the loop, right? And and so, you know, they one was in ice for a while, one was, you know, one was living his wife with Peggy, and then Cap came out of the ice and was doing cap things, and and the other one was just sort of there, and we just didn't know it until the end of Endgame when we see see the old man on the bench. It was it was it was really really interesting and like it's some of those sorts of things that typically cause me to not like time travel stories because it's just stuff like that that just ends up not actually making sense or it's like they the writers don't necessarily think about that but they thought about that and then they they had an answer for it they they realized hey you know what this by saying this happened you realize this happened right and so i i loved the fact that they they knew and they understood that that was the decision that ended up happening and the consequence. And they had a, you know, they, they knew and they, they made, made sure that it made sense. I still don't, I don't know. How, how does, how does Captain America spend the better part of 50 years not doing anything to get noticed? How does he not save people? How does he not help the world at a point where it's going to get out? that there's a guy doing this who becomes, you know, America's first superhero again. Yeah. So I'm, no, I'm I, still, I, yeah, I'm still grumpy about that, but yes, I mean, that is absolutely what has to have happened for him to come back in this timeline and do it. So he just decided that his job was to lay low and he laid low. So however he did it, maybe yeah. he's just been uh, working, working quietly behind the scenes for a long time, but in any case, uh, very cool stuff. And however it may make sense with the the time travel, 
astonishingly emotionally rewarding. So, yeah. The, yeah. You know, you talked you talked about some of those characters that sort of came back at the end of this film through the portals and stuff, and everybody got a chance to shine. That was actually by design, that kind of passing mm-hmm. the, the, the gauntlet football. And they, they t- talked about... you. Know, You'll notice that most of the people during doing the heavy lifting in that sequence are not the ones you've just spent two hours with. It's the ones that just got there. Here, it's the only time they're going to get really any screen time, is what, what Stephen McFeely talked about that. And Christopher Marcus said, it's a great opportunity to advance the plot, but also get everybody a beat on the screen. So... I I I didn't even think about that until you know you started mentioning it and then I read this quote and I was just like no that makes perfect sense and I love the fact that they did that and it, and it just it worked out really well not even just so much everybody but all the people who've got upcoming big movies yeah so you've got Black Panther and you've got the um, Spider-Man uh, Spider-Man You've got Captain Marvel. You've got all of these folks who are going to be the continuance of the Marvel Universe sort of in the next while. Even even Wanda uh, gets her big moment where she probably could have clocked him if he hadn't blown up his entire fleet to sort of distract her. So right. that was, and you know, she's, she's heading into WandaVision now. So. so- the thing that, that that struck me about this movie is there are so many memorable memorable moments, and we've talked about a lot of them, right? But like Stephen Strange putting his one finger up when you know Iron Man says, "So is this the one in fourteen million? And he won't tell him. And right before it, Tony does the snap, which by the way, of its own right, the I am Iron Man. Just like he said at the end of the first Iron Man film, right before he snaps, it's just, oh my God, it just, uh, it just kills me. And then I Love You 3000 is, I had forgotten for a moment about that. Tony's daughter Mm -hmm. saying that to him. And then in his video that they're watching after he passes, uh, he says that. And it just, it yeah. killed, it killed me again. It just, it literally just gut punched to the stomach. It just, there, the MCU, I think, has, does a great job of making memorable moments, but it feels like this movie, more than any other, just had so many of them. And, and it's a credit to the writing, it's a credit to the directing, it's a credit to the acting. There are just so many things that, you know, if you ask somebody to talk about the film, you can you you can hear them talk about it and you know exactly what they're talking about. It is you you know exactly where they're at in the movie, you know what they're doing, you know who's there, everything. It is just everything about this film is memorable. Absolutely really impressed at the fact that you know this is a show that starts out dealing in such loss and such heavy trauma and everything else and there's so much so much loss and trauma to characters we care about that happens you know during or at the end of the film and yet it remains a film that you leave 
feeling really energized and and I don't know if hopeful's the word, but but satisfied. Yeah. And you know, even even if you're even if you're torn up about Tony Stark on the way out, you you don't feel like the character's been cheated. You don't feel like you've been cheated in any ways. This is a very earned ending. I also did not get bored at all with no. a three hour movie. No. You know? It 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 feels I, I will say this, it feels long insofar as there's a lot that happens and a lot that goes on, but it doesn't get boring. It does it, it, it it's interesting throughout. There's always something going on, something interesting, a character or a scene or something that is going on that is you're engaged with, you're invested in. And yeah. and then obviously that final the finals the the you know the final part where we have the big battle, obviously there is, you know, a lot of action and things going on there, that that spectacle, but it doesn't it you're never like, oh my God, this has been two and a half hours and I've still got another half hour to go. Although I will note, like when I got up to get popcorn or coffee or something, I would pause it and go, there's still two hours left. A lot has already happened. Or there's still an hour left. A lot, a lot has already happened here. So it is kind of amazing sometimes when you're when you're watching it and you, you pause it while you're watching a video and you go, wow, this, there's a lot of movie here, you know? But... But yeah, I don't think anybody obviously complained. That that idea of making almost three billion dollars off of this movie too, you know, and that's with three hour showings. How do you get the first billion dollar in a weekend movie when they're three hours each? You know how you do it? I think it was the only movie th showing in theaters. Nobody went up <laughs> against it, and they just no. canceled everything else. It had to have been, and I think I remember this. You know, if a if a theater had twelve screens. Ten of them would have been Endgame, probably. That yeah, moment, you know. Yeah, you could and every so every half an hour to hour there was another movie version, another yeah. another one starting. So you were never going to be without an opportunity to go to the movie and see this. Yeah. It's still amazing to get that much money in a weekend when it's three hours per show. And yeah, that's, that's a a lot of a lot of time on screens. So. Yeah. So we we talked about this being the ending of the story arc, but we had several key characters that died in this film, and how like both were devastating in their own way, and both and like they made sense in the story themselves, and memorable, obviously. But like I don't know, there there was something like. It sounds like you were expecting somebody to die in this. I have yeah, to tell somebody, you, origi I, I originally, I, I did. Uh, originally, I did not think necessarily somebody was going to die, even though, like, I mean, we knew from Infinity War, for somebody to get the Soul Stone, somebody had to die in order to get the Soul Stone. But I just, I would, it surprised me that they killed off two characters, and then like. They didn't kill off Steve Rogers, but they. Steve Rogers it's isn't a lot Captain of the America equation. anymore. Yeah, yeah he, he's not. He's and so you have 
if you think about kind of the original six from the first Avengers film, this movie ends and three of them are no longer going to be a part of the Avengers going forward. And, and just a seismic shift that that then creates as a result of that. Yeah, and this this breaks one of Stan Lee's oldest rules, basically, for comic books, uh, or at least for Marvel comic books. And that was that he talked about in this book, Marvel in the 70s, that I plugged earlier, actually talks about this quite a bit, that he plugged the idea of comics needing to have the appearance of change for characters while never actually changing the character. That the idea was that you had to constantly make it seem like the character was experiencing new ideas, was was changing and moving forward. But at the end, they always had to be back at their same status quo because the comics needed to come out the next month and the month after that and the month after that. And what Endgame did was it very much took a number of the big characters in the MCU and fundamentally and permanently changed their status quo that there is no iron man anymore there is no steve rogers anymore there is no natasha romanoff anymore you know those characters have been taken off the board essentially now you can replace them you know you're gonna um you're gonna replace them with yelena belova or you're gonna replace them with a new iron man with iron Hut or whatever but the characters themselves are are actually out of the universe at this point and that makes sense because comic books are not played by actors who age and get bored playing the role, right? Sure. If somebody gets bored writing Iron Man, you hire somebody new to write Iron Man, and the character doesn't change. It just rolls on the same way. So I think that these guys probably needed a break, and it made sense, and it was time to see if you could create a, a comic book universe that didn't need to reboot itself but could move on with the times. And hopefully that will happen. Although to be quite frank, I think that they tied things up so well in Endgame that maybe they didn't need they didn't leave enough fundamental threads to carry into four. Yeah. Sure. Maybe losing maybe losing both Cap and Iron Man at the same time was a, a significant sort of blow for the MCU, you know? Uh, but in any case, yeah, I, I think that it was weird. I'm, I'm still unhappy that Black Widow died in this one more than the other two, because the other two had had their runs. They'd had spectacular storylines and Cap's story got tied up better than any character's storyline could ever have been tied up. And sure. Iron Man died a hero's death and had had, he'd been in like 12 movies, three of which had his name on them. Right. You know, that Black Widow never got her own starring movie until after she was dead. And then it's a flashback movie that ends up being not something that really connects to the story tissue of the MCU very well. Yeah. Eh, will never sit well with me. I think that Scarlett Johansson carried a lot of water for the MCU for a long time, and she should have gotten a movie, a good movie. So that uh, that is unfortunate. 
I, I definitely do not disagree with that. I, it was, if seeing like her character show up in the second film, there's actually a really great vignette. Uh, if you're watching a Disney plus about Natasha Romanoff, Scarlett Johansson, and like her first appearance in Iron Man two, and just kind of the transformation of her character throughout some of these. And she was a very strong supporting character in a bunch of films, but she was never the headliner. And to your point, she helped these stories go. And she was a really important part to, you know, the early Iron Man, the early Captain America movies and, and stuff like that. And she didn't get to shine quite as brightly as she could have uh, in those films. And then like in her kind of own in her own project that came out as the flashback film. Yeah. And Mark Ruffalo's had kind of the same situation, but part of the problem there is there's evidently legal problems in doing a Hulk movie because you can put the Hulk in as many movies as you want, but if he's the headliner in the movie, then I think it's universal or someone who still needs to get a cut of things. So they haven't got the licensing figured out for that one. So there's reasons other than than just uh, creative stuff in terms of why the Hulk doesn't have his own. But, yeah, overall, though, I don't know that if, if when I was walking into Iron Man in 2008, I had known that 10 years later I would have this as the capstone to, you know, 10 years of astonishing comic book movies, I would have even believed it, you know? Yeah. And and it really was the sort of thing where it's not just a great comic book story. What they did is they humanized it. I think when you watch it again, the interesting thing is how little is actually resolved by violence here. How little yeah. is actually fights. You know, there's, there is the big act three scene, which is huge and the like. But even that is almost more about just a a victory lap for the MCU of all the characters they've been able to bring in and make you care about than yeah. it is an actual fight. You know, it's a right. bunch of people posing, going, okay, my turn to be cool, and then they get out of the way and somebody else is like, my turn to be cool. And and it's it's almost comical when you think about it that way. And I don't know that there was ever a point in that one where I was worried about what was going to happen. You know, in terms of worried that they were going to win, I was worried who was going to potentially die or what was going on. And there was that feeling of, uh, this is something's going to happen here. But it was it was just a an astonishing experience in terms of universe building that we've never seen in any media before, I don't think. There's nothing like Endgame, yeah. which speaks to the fact that that many people were that invested in it and it made all of that money in the like. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you, you've had lots of people try and imitate it ever since, and nobody's come even like a fraction close, and by any by any metric beyond even like just well, whether it be like money bringing in money, grossing money based mm -hmm. on movies and things like that, or 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 some other measure, it just does not seem like anybody's come anywhere close to the to the world building that 
that uh, Marvel Studios has been able to do. James Cameron needs another twelve or thirteen Avatar movies, and maybe he'll get there. But yeah, he's he's yeah. not he's not there yet. So no, not quite. All right, so let's talk about a few just little tidbits about this movie that I think were kind of interesting. So when we see the title card of the movie, only half the orchestra plays, keeping in mind, you know, really the the other half were snapped out of existence, presumably. That is, I thought that was really interesting. So, you know, we talked about this being shot at the same time as Avengers Infinity War. They basically started uh, filming this in August and uh, took about 200 days or so. It it, it was under the same Mary Lou code name that Infinity War was under. So we have so we have that. Uh, Joe Russo, one of the directors, actually has a cameo in this. He is mm-hmm. the the gentleman in the support group talking about his first date. Uh, talking about crying before dessert. Uh, so if you didn't know that that was Joe Russo, that is, in fact, him. Uh, all of the Quantum Realm suits that were worn were entirely VFX creations because the film production had to start before costume design team could finalize what the suits would look like. So it was it was interesting. So the, the time suits are a combination of Ant-Man... Tony Stark and Guardians tech and that it took him a while to land on that in particular uh so by the time they got to that final version they were already into principal photography and they knew that they were going to need to build them and since they had to nano on and off with Tony's tech they ended up being that the costume department didn't have time to develop, fit, and fabricate all the costumes for them to wear, so they just ended up adding them digitally. Uh, The same would hold true for Captain Marvel's suit, because that wasn't completely finalized for the movie, because there was, in fact, some overlap there with some of the filming that was being done for that film. So they ended up having to do VFX work on, on adding... Carol Danvers's suit uh, in in the scenes that she was in, and, and to your point, you you talked earlier about the fact that you know Captain Marvel is just this super powered uh, being that would make it trivial. Uh, oh. There was a there was a comment from from one of the the Russo brothers, and they talked about the fact that yeah, Captain Marvel wasn't in this film very much because this was a this was supposed to be kind of the swan song for the original Avengers and having some new character that had just popped up come in and solve all their problems was was not something they wanted to do. So they used her very sparingly and, and apparently got a little bit of criticism on, online because of this. But I, I think it ended up working out quite perfectly that, you know, she was there, helped Tony in the beginning and then came back at the end uh, and, and helped out, uh, you know, at that critical final battle, but didn't need to be necessarily a part of the the big time heist. Um, one last thing is the idea of showing the autographs of the original Avengers at the end credits actually mm-hmm. was was inspired by Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country from 1991, mm-hmm. 
which also was the finale for its cast. So they they were really thinking of this as being this final homage to those original uh, original Avengers, and and so I really loved when you got through. You, you see the credits and the credits are normal. You're seeing Paul Rudd. You're seeing all these other characters in there. And then you're like, oh, I haven't seen the, the big characters yet. And then all of a sudden you see these silhouetted versions of the characters and you see their autograph and, and then their name pops up. And I'm just, I absolutely loved the fact that that was, uh, was the way they kind of sent us off on that. And it's also hilarious because of the big stars, you know, the Michael Douglases and Robert Redfords who've been like bit players essentially in the MCU. The number of people who have ams and withs and the yes. like where they're yes. not listed as part of the, the regular order of the cast because they're they're way too famous for what their role is was huge in this. There were like 15 people who were ams or, you know, with this person and this person and the like. But I, I loved the that sort of final call out where they just do everybody in ascending order. And then of course you finish up with Tony himself, Robert Downey Jr. And, and then away you go. So there's so many references to the comics where we'd be here all week if we talked about that. So we're not going to call it anything in particular. There's lots of references with the costumes and, and different things. The fact that they had that five-year jump allowed them to make some adjustments and some things and and make new new uh, costumes for some of the characters that are very reminiscent from what what is going on in in some of those recent comic book runs that are going on as well. So uh, definitely a lot to check out there. I do not envy the comics this week during the face-off, but, but I guess... <laughs> Yet again, I'm going to send George Perez into the into the breach. We we talked. We don't really have any uh, end game comics. We talked about some last week that that had some some things, but the clo- the closest thing we can do is probably just to again bring Infinity Gauntlet, which was sort of the the books that was the that were the comics progenitor of this whole story. What did you think of the Infinity Gauntlet story in the comics? Versus the way Avengers Endgame handled the resolution to that comic, that that uh, conflict. I think I said when we watched Infinity War that I I, I actually really liked the comic book and and like it it was the idea of of having this big bad and having these stones and and giving him this superpowers to to be basically the just this unstoppable force in the universe and what you would have to do to fight them and what you would have to do to defeat them you know i i loved this comic book and and it is one of the i think i'm starting to appreciate george perez and, and his art i really liked this this comic book run but as you as you stated with with the way they built from the very first iron man all the way to endgame there was just this is more than kind of this is more than the sum of the parts kind of thing it is it 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 is 
unbelievable the story that they were able to tell and yet it it's there we have it it's it's three hours long and it is absolutely wonderful they didn't spend two hours fighting really they did a lot of you know character development and discussion and and things and it was never boring for a minute i absolutely love infinity war and i absolutely adore endgame and i think this is the pinnacle of not just comic book movies but just action adventure sort of movies i just i love these and and i i would put them up against just about anything in that genre yeah i think as as genre movies the, this is almost uh, almost impossible to really beat for for like you know the, the sort of thing it is i remember when essentially the Lord of the Rings movies came out in the early 2000s. And and by the time that Return of the King had finished, and they had also stuck the landing and made these three beautiful films, I was like, you know, cinema can just close up and go home now because the whole purpose of movies has been achieved by making the Lord of the Rings movies this perfectly. And, uh-huh. and obviously, luckily they didn't stop because now they're able to do this. And sort of duplicate that achievement, you know that it's it's weird because you're not really comparing against like an Infinity Gauntlet. This is sort of Avengers Endgame is a validation and a summation of the entire Marvel universe for fifty or sixty years because yeah. it takes so many of the characters and their core ideas and their core identities, and it sort of crystallizes them and brings them to life in a way that it's very difficult to imagine being done better, you know? Yeah. The the thing is that what comics do that very few media can do is they allow a reader to build up a relationship with a character and to care about that character by spending time with them every month, you know? The way we read Moon Knight allowed you to sort of get to know that character and his supporting cast in a way that it's difficult to do just by watching a movie or something. And it's the sort of thing that a long-running television show can do. Uh, And that's what they did for these Marvel characters, to the point where there were people all over the place who knew Tony Stark like he was one of their friends, that knew these other characters in a way that had never been achieved in live-action comics before. And it just hits so hard. So I think that, you know, Endgame is not an achievement that stands on its own. Because if there weren't all of the stuff before, if someone just watched this movie and had not watched anything else from the MCU, their general impression would be, this is really cool, but I have no idea what's going on or why I'm supposed to care about all these people. Right. You know? So it needs the rest of the universe. But it had the rest of the universe, and it it used that perfectly and allowed them to tie it all up. So, yeah, it would be very difficult for any comic run to beat this. Yeah. You know, um, there's a few I'd maybe put up against it, but they also would be series that would be drawing on 30 or 40 years of comics history to gain the sort of, you know, stuff that they get. 
So, anyway, because we're saying Endgame's okay. Yeah, so. we're saying we're saying Endgame's okay. All right, before we look ahead to what we're going to be talking about next week, I did want to provide a note. So over the weekend, uh, we moved the Phases of the Moon Knight episodes from the Phases of the Moon Knight uh, Podbean account over into the Comics Over Time uh, account and into the feed uh, as season one of Comics Over Time. So those episodes are marked with a P-O-T-M-K, Phases of the Moon Knight prefix. Uh, since they were being republished on the Comics Over Time website, some of them may have downloaded into your podcast player if you're subscribed to us. Uh, sorry about that. If, you, if you've listened to them before, we have definitely appreciate that. Uh, if you haven't listened to them before... You want to check those out if you have some interest in the in the Moon Knight comics. We're we're definitely we have plans to revisit Mark Spector or Moon Knight before the end of the year. So that with that offers you a, a little bit of uh, an idea of where where we're going down the road. But we did want to call that out. We had talked about it a couple weeks ago that that was something we were going to do. That did get done. But going forward, you're just going to see regular comics over time episodes now. And, uh, you know, as we're as we're going forward. So it's it's it was a one time thing that we needed to do so that we could consolidate the number of accounts on Podbean that we had. And it is now done. And and you shouldn't see any more hiccups like that going forward. It's really as a result of, you know, when we started out, the idea was. Hey, Dwayne, let's do a podcast on Moon Knight. It'll take maybe three months of your time, and then you'll be free to move about your business. And it's now been two years that we've been doing this. So we yes. did decide that since Comics Over Time is where we're moving forward as our as our primary uh, site, it makes sense to get those put in there and then not maintain two separate ones. So appreciate yes. all the work Dwayne did getting those moved over. And, yeah. We will be adding to them as we go as well. So there will be more Moon Knight stuff coming. All right, Dan. But for now, been, sir. Yeah, we, we for now, we're, we're very long, but we need to tell people before we go, where are we headed next? Dwight said, you know, I really want to review the Marvels movie coming out. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds interesting. So what we're going to do is we're going to do some reading to prepare for the Marvels. A lot of weird kind of different things. We're reading Ms. Marvel from 2014, number one through five, the beginning of Kamala Khan. These are really fun stories. I think Wayne's going to like them. We're going to read some Photon from 2022, some recent books, uh, number one through five. We're going to read Cap, and that's Monica Rambeau, so we'll get a chance to see what she's up to recently. We're going to read some Captain Marvel from back in 2014. Issues number 9 and 13, which focus on a particular prince who is going to be evidently a character in the movie. So we'll see how that goes. We're going to look at Silver Surfer, number 53, from 1991. And we're going to look at Avengers, number 346, from 1992. Those last two actually focus on the villain of the piece. So hope is we'll get you some uh, introduction to some of the characters 
many of them kind of obscure, who are going to be in the Marvel's movie coming up next month. Right. Looking forward to that. And with that, that is going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. Whether you're new to the show or you've been with us from the beginning, we'd love to get your thoughts on the show, on Avengers Endgame. Maybe you're going to see the Marvels in a couple of weeks. We'd love to get your thoughts. Send them to us via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. We're also available via social media on Twitter or X at Comics Over Time and on Blue Sky at Comics Over Time. Dan, we went really long, but we had a really big movie to talk about. Endgame was fantastic and heartbreaking, just like I remembered it being. And in fact, even more heartbreaking this time around, given how much time I've spent with the characters in a lead up to it. They really did stick the landing, but I'm excited to learn about some new characters in the next week Mm -hmm. in some of the comic books that we're reading as we prepare for the Marvels. Uh, Absolutely. And you have not watched Ms. Marvel yet, the TV show, correct? I have not watched the TV show yet, no. Okay, all right. We'll we'll get you an introduction to to Kamala Khan. Until next time, take care, everybody. See you later, folks.